What's up, our fans? It is Danny Velasquez, joined as always by Pete. And we've been looking forward to this one for a while now. We are going to dive deep. Dive deep? Dive deep. English is hard. Uh, Into In Search of Darkness Part 3, which you guys can watch now on Shudder. And hey, the Super Bowl... Uh, or the superb owl starts uh, at around 6:30 tonight. So when you're done watching, you know you can go watch In Search of Darkness three, and that'll take you right into the into the big game. So there you go. Uh, good, good way to occupy yourself on a Sunday. Uh, if you are not familiar with our channel, uh, uh, Pete and I have interviewed director david weiner several times he is a friend of the channel we had him on to talk about in search of darkness part one part two in search of tomorrow which is a four plus hour 80s science fiction documentary and we had him on to preview this uh documentary and pete we were just talking before we started recording and before i started flubbing lines in english that this might be our favorite of the three in search of darkness documentaries. Mm-hmm. Uh, where, where do you put this in your ranking of the three documentaries and why? Yeah, I'd, I'd say it's my favorite because in the first one, I did recognize a lot of the movies, even though I hadn't seen all of them in this one. I, I got a little worried at first. I was like, Oh shit. Do I know any of these movies? Have I seen any of these movies? And eventually when we got to about 1986, then I was like, oh, okay, I've seen this one, I've seen this one. But uh, it's really obscure right up front. And besides that, um, I really like the talking heads in this movie. They kind of have leftover content from previous interviews from the past two movies. But in this one, you have a couple of new talking heads. Mm-hmm. And I just really liked what they brought to the table. What about yeah. you, Mark? Yeah, I, I 100% agree. Uh, of the two of us, I am the... Yeah, we always like to say I'm the horror guy, you're the sci-fi guy, even though we both like the other genre. Uh, and I feel like I have seen a lot of horror movies in my life. And so it blew me away how deep the deep cuts were in yeah. this one, how obscure the movies were. Uh, I wrote down literally, I took pages of notes. And <laughs> I, I, I took down every year by year, I wrote down every movie covered and I was circling the ones that I've seen. And it's like 1980, only two movies. 1981, only one movie. 1982, wow. only two movies. Uh, it's not until like 83, 84 where I start to get, you know, a little more circles. Mm-hmm. And that was the thrilling part for me. I feel like, and we brought this up with David when we talked to him, that these documentaries become almost like, fun homework assignments for horror fans where it's like, all right, let me make a list of all the ones that I haven't seen. And now it's time to play catch up. And that's really one of the main things that we're going to be doing today is we're going to be giving each other a list of about four or five movies uh, that we'd like to eventually cover on this channel and that were brought up in the documentary. Yes. As always, not only does he, go through the years, but he also does chapter breakdowns uh, for every break between the uh, the years in the 1980s. There's a chapter breakdown. Some yeah. of them go into issues in the 80s. Some of them are focuses on specific uh, people from the 80s, whether it's 
uh, Adrian Barbeau, D. Wallace, Screaming Mad George, or just an overview of like the classic horror directors of the eighties. Yeah. Uh, this was one of the easiest five and a half hours I've ever spent watching anything. Yes. <laughs> and I'm so glad that uh, we could be part of the Kickstarter campaign for it. And, uh, you know, seeing your name in the credits is really cool. And uh, the Lasser cast is actually in the credits uh, in there. Uh, yes. So it was, you know, that, was, that was really, that was really cool. Uh, but yeah, uh, of the three, I think this is definitely my favorite because like you said, you know, and, and David's a smart uh, director. You know, when you're making In Search of Darkness a journey into 80s horror, you got to hit all the big titles. You got to hit your uh, your franchises, your Nightmare on Elm Street, your Friday the 13th, your Halloween's. You got to hit those sequels. You got to hit the movies that everybody knows. And occasionally you could throw in a few weirder ones. Yeah. Part two got a little bit deeper, uh, started to involve more foreign horror from the 80s. Uh, and then this one is just like everything that is left on the shelves. And, uh, you know, you made a good point. You brought up about um, before we started talking, uh, before we started recording, you mentioned how uh, the way the technology changed in the early 80s really impacted uh, 80s horror. And, and that this documentary puts a lot of emphasis on that. Yes, uh, that is one of the best sequences that's not just a straight-up review of a movie. That was uh, a great thing because when we've talked to David, we've talked about how it's like, okay, well, we've already established these very well-known movies, these franchises, and now we're going to get more and more obscure. And once you get to film three, you kind of run this risk of, okay, well, I'm going to start talking about movies that nobody really knows about. Maybe they're not even that good, right? But the way that David frames it is so smart because – he essentially explains why these weird random movies came about. Like the very beginning of the movie is about how the videotape industry began yeah. and what it looked like, how videotapes were super expensive at first and it was like a novelty. And then they needed <laughs> these tapes in order to make a profit. And so they started to green light all of these weird movies. Yeah. Not to mention that people really liked obscure, weird shit. And so all of a sudden you got these green lights for all these movies that you just wouldn't normally see. And, and so that, but. and that also led to uh, people uh, th with the VHS explosion and with the, the idea that you can make a movie on film yeah. that it'll, it basically allowed anyone to make a movie, anyone who owned a video, one of those big ass, you know, on your shoulders, like grandpa at the holidays, video camcorders right. could now effectively make a super cheap movie. And like, we see some of those later on, like uh, anyone here uh, who's ever watched Joe Bob Briggs, uh, they made us watch things from 1989. <laughs> and they talk about how that is probably the worst movie ever made, but it was made for dirt cheap. Uh, and it was made on, via, uh, on, on video and then thrown into a video store. Um, I think it's Joe Bob who has the quote, movies became products in the early, and, and that's in that section you're talking about VHS explosion. And, and that really, like I, and we've talked about this with David several times, that my love, especially for horror as a genre came from going to the video store as a kid. I'm born in 82. And so as early as I can remember, 85, 86, 87, I remember spending 
Like my dad would take me to the video store and he would give me 20, 30 minutes to walk around. And when I wasn't renting like He-Man episodes on VHS, I was in the horror section and I was looking at, you know, movie boxes that I should not have been looking at. Uh And I was fascinated. And some of those movies were these like, just me. And I remember also like the signs that were up, like, if you don't return, like fee for fee for broken video cassettes was like $99. And I remember thinking like, how could this be so expensive? Yeah. Especially when just a few years after that, not a few years, maybe a decade later in the late nineties, when the DVD explosion started. Mm -hmm. And I remember being able to buy DVDs for like $14.99, at, you know, Suncoast video and (laughs) or Saturday matinee in the uh, Staten Island mall. right? Right. And, and I remember thinking like, these are better than like, these are better quality than videos, but they're so much cheaper. And, and it's really amazing how the technology has changed. Like I had a huge VHS collection. Then I had Mm -hmm. a huge DVD collection. Now I have a big Blu-ray and DVD and everything collections. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. Uh, Parents were really spoiled back then, right? Cause just going to the video store, looking around the video store could take up a whole hour. Now we go to show our kids something. It's like they can immediately watch immediately what they want to see, right? But uh, yeah, I, I totally agree. And they talk about it in the beginning of the movie too, how like the video store experience is so essential. And you know, it's funny because I know that we're just small potatoes to David, and he's interviewed so many people. But every so often, I'll watch something in this movie and be like, "Did he kind of put that in there?" Because like we talked about it. I mean, I'm guessing probably not, but like at the very end of the movie, did you notice that fucking unmasked 25 was in the fucking movie? It was. Yeah. Uh, so, so it's funny you brought that up. There's two things that I, I noticed. Yeah. Uh, oh, I know the other one too. Superman, yeah. Superman uh, three, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, a couple of things. I, I, I've been trying to, every time we talk to David, especially with this movie, because this movie was like so deep cut that he was having people send in suggestions right. for what would be in it. So of course I sent in Unmasked Part 25. Yep. Valentine's Day is coming up. I'm going to be rewatching it again. It's like my annual tradition. I'll probably throw up another video on the channel next week. Nice. But Unmasked Part 25 is a movie that I remember seeing the VHS for in 1988, 89 when it came out. I was five, six or seven years old. And I remember thinking even back then, oh my God, this looks like a Friday the 13th ripoff because he's wearing like a different version of a hockey mask. I finally saw the movie a few years ago. It was streaming free on Tubi. I don't know if it is. If it is, you should all go search for it. (laughs) But in the last little section, famous last words, there is a scene from Unmasked Part 25 and I legit did one of these like, yes! Yeah, like, yeah. I was so excited to see that. Um, and then, of course, there's a, another great chapter later in the film. And by later in the film, I mean like four hours and 40 minutes into the film, yeah. um, uh, which I thought was also brilliant about how uh, it's called In Any Genre, Horror Works. Right. And I, right. and I love that because some of the scariest things that happened to me in the 80s had nothing to do with horror movies. Right. Indiana Jones and Temple of Doom, one of the scariest movies I've ever seen. Right. Uh, Young Sherlock Holmes. It's one of the scariest movies I ever saw as a kid. 
Right. Uh, and of course, the scene in Superman 3 where the woman becomes a robot at the end, which yeah. we have talked about with David, both in the uh, In Search of Tomorrow conversations and In Search of Darkness conversations. So were those things thrown in just for, you know, the Lasser cast? I don't know. I am going to hold on to Unmasked Part 25, though, because I'm pretty sure it's me and about nine other people on Earth who love this movie. Yes, yes. Uh, really good point. I, it's just cool watching a movie that of like someone that we've talked to multiple times. We get to see the motors running and like we know, oh, this is what he was thinking about when he made this part. And so um, as we go through the collection of the movies that we want to start talking about, uh, I was thinking about like, well, why did David pick this specific movie, right? Now, for the, I picked four movies, right? Because we already covered Possession, which is, uh, you know, we did that last week. It's all of our videos that are going to come out are going to say In Search of Darkness 3, Spotlight, and then the movie. And so you guys at home, we're going to like be David right now and flip it to you. If you guys have some recommendations besides what me and Danny say, please tell us because we love the interaction with you guys. And uh, especially if you guys know where we can find these movies because some of them are so obscure that it's even hard to find them on streaming. Like, wasn't there one day that you couldn't even find on streaming? I I actually bought Mystics in Bali. It's, okay. it's coming from Amazon. Uh, it should be it should be arriving uh, tomorrow. Uh, nice. I, I I actually ordered it on. Uh, I don't even know DVD Blu-ray uh, because I I this is not the first time I've ever heard of Mystics in Bali, uh, and. I saw parts of it and I was just like, I need to see that movie. So I, yeah. I just, yeah, I, I looked up a lot of these movies uh, on like my Roku where it says like search and it tells yeah. you like which streaming channel they're on. And some of them are just nowhere. Right. Uh, like these are the deepest deep cuts. Like, oh, you know, and that's one of the things where going back to the whole VHS thing, a lot of these movies, as we move away from physical media, uh, if they're not, you don't have, and that's why some of these companies are so important. Uh, and I wish I had more money to support all of them. Like, uh, what is it? Uh, Severin Films, Shout Factory, uh, uh, Vinegar Syndrome. Vinegar Syndrome, yeah. Yeah. If, if, if I wish I had more money to support these companies because they are the ones that are taking these super obscure movies and finding them, putting them onto physical media. Um, I, that's why I own a special edition Blu-ray of Unmasked Part 25 because of yeah. Vinegar Syndrome. Yeah. Uh, so it, it's, you know, if, if you don't have a company like that, who's handling the physical media and it doesn't get picked up by one of these large streaming services, you're kind of shit out of luck with some of these older movies. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, uh, I'm hoping that I can find all the movies that I listed on here on streaming and, you know, if, if worst case scenario, I can buy one, too. Uh, it's funny, though, before I made this list, there are movies that, like, I remember kind of seeing as a kid. I didn't necessarily see the whole thing because it was just, like, on TV. And I would see, like, the beginning or the middle or something like that. Um, but they always had this kind of distinct impression. And, and maybe I didn't remember the title back then. But then seeing this documentary, I'm like, oh, shit, that's that movie. And with this particular documentary, I feel like there's the most overlap between The Last Drive-In and in search of darkness like joe bob's in it darcy's in it for a very short time but a few of the list the movies on this list i'm like oh i know about this because it was on the last drive -in. yeah too. you know 
Um, so like some some just quick honorable mentions before I go into my movies. But um, I like I remember seeing Transylvania six five thousand when I was a kid and be like, oh, this is fun. This is like a horror thing, but it's fun. Um, Deadly Friend. How can you forget the fucking moment when uh, basketball? Be- exactly, exactly. Yeah, I was at my mom's apartment watching in search of darkness and i'm like i know exactly what they're going to show for this movie right uh and then and then here here's an example of what i was just talking about a moment ago terror vision i remember seeing it as a kid late night on tv and being like what the fuck am i watching and then it's like oh okay it's this movie terror vision so i'm assuming that you saw all three of these uh i saw terror vision i uh, i really enjoy it i think it's funny because I think it's very obvious that it was supposed to be a serious horror movie that they kind of gave up on midway through and decided, now nah, we're going to go the comedy route. Yeah. Um, what was the other way? Uh, so Transylvania 65,000. I, I, I remember the video box for it. I remember Jeff Goldblum and who is it? Ed Bagley Jr. Yeah. I, but I, I don't think I ever saw that. Yeah. I, uh, I, I, I did see Saturday the 14th that they brought uh, up as like a, a companion piece to it. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I mean, I, I totally forgot or maybe I didn't even realize it, but Michael Richards is in it. Right. And I've been watching a lot of Seinfeld recently with my daughter and my wife. So like, oh, I got to see this again. And then they, they quick cut to like Gina Davis as a vampire, kind of like a sexy outfit. I'm like, I got to watch that soon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go out. I, I, I'm going to take a guess because I know you. And I that one of your movies, and maybe I'm jumping ahead on your list, but I know how much you love folk horror. Uh, so Eyes of Fire has to be on your list. That's my number one, man. You did the money shot already. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes, of course. I mean, did you see that movie? So that movie was on Shutter last year. They did a big folk horror thing last year. In fact, yeah. Woodlands Dark, this like three-hour folk horror documentary that I still have not sat down and watched, is still on Shutter. And Eyes of Fire was in their folk horror collection, and I, I, I didn't get a chance to watch it. But holy shit, just looking at some of the the scenes and the imagery from it, yeah, definitely want to check that out. So yeah. if that's on your list, that I'm totally cool with finding that and checking that movie out because. I know you you I know you've said many times your favorite horror movie of all time is The Wicker Man. It yeah. is one of my probably top ten favorite horror movies of all time. Uh we're talking about the original here, not Nicolas Cage. Love him, but sorry. Yeah, yeah. Uh but yeah. Um it, it, I mean that Eyes of Fire is definitely a movie. And and I, I thought it was interesting. I, that was the movie that they said the director made it and then like apparently never made another horror movie and i'm like this movie looks amazing like how could he have like not made another movie exactly exactly it it looks so good the cinematography looks so good for that movie it looks like something totally different and removed like you know i haven't even seen anything like it um yeah i'm super excited about that one you know phil mill phil noble jr the editor-in-chief of fangoria is throughout this whole documentary he's one of the most consistent talking heads throughout the whole movie and he talks about folk horror and how it had a big explosion in in cinema in uh, Britain in like the 60s and 70s. And that's where we get the Wicker Man, right? But um, it's interesting because they say, he says that it's not common to see American folk horror. Yet when you read the synopsis of this movie or hear what they describe in, in Search of Darkness, doesn't it sound like The Witch? 
it sounds just like the witch, right? Yeah. And it's yeah. funny because you would think with like Native American history that there'd be so much to explore in, in terms of like folk aura here with like the, the pilgrims and all the weird religion that came over in like the 1600s and, and, and Native Americans. And like, we're always cool to throw in like a Native American curse or you know, like a graveyard. So it feels like there's room. There's a lot of room there. And like, I guess Eggers with like the witch and even the lighthouse is like the best modern example. Even Ariosta, Midsummer, like is, these are like, I guess, updated versions of folk horror that we're seeing. Uh, So maybe it's on the the comeback, you know, who knows? Maybe, man. I mean, obviously I I bet you David Eggers has seen this movie. and Robert Eggers. Oh my God, Robert Eggers! No, it's okay. You, David Weiner, Robert Eggers. Well, oh man. Well, anyway, uh, speaking of uh, Native American stuff, I just want to do a little shout out to. I just met uh, Stephen Graham Jones last night at the Highball in Austin. That's why I'm actually wearing my Dark Tower shirt today, uh, because he was on the King Cast, and it was real cool. I met the two guys that uh, run the King Cast. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, and uh, I'm hoping. For, for those of you guys that like like my interviews and stuff with authors, horror authors, Stephen Graham Jones is a pretty big name. He did My Heart is a Chainsaw. He has a new book out called Don't Fear the Reaper. I'm, I'm going to reach out to his uh, publicist. He gave me her email, and I'm going to see if oh, I can sweet. get her on the show, too. Yeah, yeah I yeah. have My Heart is a Chainsaw in uh, my Audible. So uh, yeah. the weather here in New York suddenly is beautiful it's gonna be like 60s all week my my dream of a snow-free winter is happening and, uh, <laughs> so i can get back out do it, running a little bit and uh listening to books on audible again so yeah i'll yep. definitely get to that yeah man so um we've covered so okay we were supposed to come up with five movies each and i let one of my choices be possession which we already covered and then you jumped ahead and got my eyes of fire so let's do your number five then what are you interested in watching so, uh, and, and I've been trying to watch this movie for, I feel like my entire life, because ever since the video store closed, I haven't seen it. It's not streaming. And they actually make a, a point about how there's like stuff going on behind the scenes that's preventing this movie from being seen. And it's trick or treat. It's uh, oh. 1986, I believe. Yeah. Uh, you have Ozzy Osbourne playing a, Christian fundamentalist in it, which is the best casting um, of anything of that nature. Uh, I feel like when Kevin Smith cast George Carlin as like the, the religious zealot in Dogma, that was like perfect, like on the on the nose casting in this vein. Right. Uh, you have Gene Simmons in this movie, um, and it's all about you know a, a rock star who is killed in a fire and. Uh, comes back to life and you, or not comes back to life, but you, you know, it's that typical satanic panic of you play the record backwards and the devil or the demon comes out. But I've been trying to find this movie for, it's got to be close to 30 years now. And I would love to get my hands on a, on a physical copy of it, uh, any, any copy of it. Uh, and, and finally give that a watch and talk about it because what I feel like that just the sub genre of, rock and roll horror is permeated throughout this documentary. Um, He talks, uh, the second segment is about satanic panic. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you had the blending of heavy metal music and horror movies have always Mm -hmm. been connected. Um, 
I like uh, I teach about you know D Snyder and Twisted Sister and D Snyder showing up to Congress and you know talking about his music videos and 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 the song we're not going to take it and uh that's and, and they in in trick or treat there's effectively like the musician who who dies in the fire and then comes back there's a scene where he goes to congress mm-hmm. and i think that's and uh you know while i was watching this documentary i think i started watching it right after the grammys and I don't watch the Grammys, but all I saw on Twitter was like this legit satanic panic from yes. the far right yeah. about of all Sam the Smith. people on earth, Sam Smith. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you saw the same thing a few years, uh, like last year, maybe was it like Little Nas X did a music video involving the devil, right. uh, and he's of course very flamboyant, and you know. It, a lot of things that he does trigger the far uh, religious right. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, there are people, there are politicians in the government right now on Twitter talking about how, like, this is what the left wants. They want Satan to take over. And I'm like, oh, my God. Yeah. Like, it, here we are. You know, yeah. <laughs> yesterday <laughs> I was in the movie theater and I saw the preview for um the new dungeons and dragons movie which doesn't actually look like dungeons and dragons but it looks like it'll be fun and i'm just like i wonder if there's going to be people protesting that and you know we saw this with stranger things in the last season of stranger things how there was the satanic panic involved and the hellfire club and all these things and uh like i feel like it it's just that that section of the video felt so current and yes. you know, seeing Sammy Kerr, this fictional rock star in Trick or Treat, go and pull a D. Snyder and uh, go to Congress to testify wa- against the PMRC is is incredible. So, if we ever get a chance, I'd love to cover Trick or Treat. I absolutely would love to cover this movie. And dude, you're knocking my list out. That was my number two. Ah. Trick or Treat from 1986. Um, the thing is, right. David gave us a sample of In Search of Darkness 3 before he came on the last time. And so this segment was part of that, uh, you know, sample he gave us. And I was super excited because I love Dungeons and Dragons. I love metal music. It all kind of comes together with horror and this. And so I knew I had to see this movie. Um, There's another channel, which I wear their shirt and stuff sometimes. It's, you know, uh, Red Letter Media. They have Half in the Bag and they have Best of the Worst. I believe they covered Trick or Treat 1986 on Best of the Worst. That's the first time I ever saw anything about it. It just looked like it was so much fun. Uh, You know, I think David was pretty proud that he got to get Gene Simmons on In Search of Darkness 3. And so, um, you know, he's in this too, talking about it a little bit. Um, I mean, I agree with every single thing you said, but it's just cool that they took the time to focus on this part of our culture which i i really do feel like it's so much of a part of my identity is like dungeons and dragons metal horror you know it, it, we there's like a whole crew we all kind of go together yeah. and one of my favorite favorite talking heads on this movie was david i always fuck up his last name but that's malkin that's malkin thank you so much you know from like blade runner 2049 the dark knight and you know so many other fucking he hosted things. the fangoria chainsaw awards also yeah i mean he's an awesome on dude Shutter. 
Yeah, yeah. And, and like, uh, you know, I just mentioned the King cast. I thought he was a really great guest when he was on the King cast. Um, he brings up some really great points throughout this whole documentary. But in that particular sequence, he really shines, I thought. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, uh, I, I agree. Uh, another movie, if, if I'm just going to go with another movie off my list. Okay. Uh, that I think is also incredibly topical for movie came out in when did it come out 83 i think okay. uh curtains oh okay okay sure yeah. yeah i there are very few movies that i've advocated we should remake these movies right my number one all time is shocker i just think shocker would work so much better today with modern technology with streaming with the internet Absolutely. and bring mitch pelleggi back he can still be horace pinker all good right but Curtains is another one. I saw Curtains and uh, I really, really enjoy Curtains. It's a movie that has some really great scenes. Like the hag mask in that movie is such a unique mask. Um, And the weapon also, it's like there's that scene where like the villain is ice skating after the girl with like these scythes and the hag mask on, and it's something like you've never seen anything like that before. Yes. But the the basic plot of this movie is a pervy director takes a bunch of women off to, like, this resort where he's basically saying, we're going to see who's the best for this role. And he basically goes around sleeping with all of them and harassing them and molesting them and... Uh, all the while there's a killer there and the, uh, it, he he starts the movie by taking this older actress and going oh you need to learn how to be crazy so i'm going to put you in an institution and then he just leaves her there and like in the post harvey weinstein world i feel like this is a movie that really needs to be revisited and i think a remake of it could be really effective now it runs the risk of People screaming, you know, oh, it's woke, it's woke, it's woke. But it it also, like, we know that shit like this has happened. So I, I think it would be really effective uh, if it came out. Uh, and if you haven't, uh, if they don't want to remake it, just seeing the original, it's really good. I think it is streaming um, a, a, a few different places. Uh and if not, I think you can like rent it or buy it on uh, on Amazon. Yeah, this uh, one isn't as hard to find as uh, Trick or Treat. So, um, wasn't there a movie that came out this year that was about the Weinstein thing, but it was a drama? Um, oh, uh, that was uh, she said. Right, which, Harry Mulligan's in it, and like. So basically, yeah, that movie is like remember Spotlight won Best yes. Picture. That movie is basically Spotlight, except instead of um, the church's abuse, it's about the Weinstein situation. It's like literally about the two women who exposed the the Harvey Weinstein story. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, with Carrie Mulligan. So, I mean, like, obviously, like, this is very topical, like you said. Um, I I do remember that. You know, the funny thing about watching a five-hour-and-a-half-plus movie is that there's so much going on. You see so much, and there's so many quick images, but I do distinctly remember that hag mask, you know? So I'm definitely down. I'm on board for, for watching this one if we want to find it uh, streaming. So so we've covered 
two of yours, right, and two of mine. Let's let's pop on over to uh, my this this one I'd say I'm the least excited about out of all of them, but it was one of the very first movies that they covered, and it is The Boogeyman, 1980. So, have you ever seen this one? I have not. Um, and from the movie, the, the what they showed of it looks very strange. It looks like it's right. less about the boogeyman and more about this, like that a ghost of the guy a woman is sleeping with. Who, uh, very, yeah. very strange. So, so one thing that you see because you see patterns in these interviews too, in In Search of Darkness, and one of the patterns that you see is that in multiple '80s movies, they just kind of stick elements from other movies into a movie like they just take weird elements like a lot of times they would take stuff from like aliens and terminator and stuff and put it all into one movie right or in this case they would take uh stuff from like halloween like they have sort of like michael myers origin in the beginning of this movie you know and then they have weird you know possession stuff in this movie too so it has a beginning that's very similar to the beginning of the original halloween where um there's a boy and a girl and their mom has a new boyfriend. Uh, he does something to kind of upset the son. And then the son comes and just stabs the guy to death. And I think that guy is the boogeyman. And he wears like a, a stocking over his face. So you have this kind of weird image uh, throughout <laughs> of this guy with a stocking in his face. Uh, one of the, the cool shots I saw when they were going through the, the description is like there's like a piece of a mirror and um it like flips and it like lands on the girl's eye but not like in her eye like you'd expect in a horror movie but like over it to give her almost like a she looks like almost like cable from the x-men or <laughs> x-force yeah and uh i just thought that was really intriguing the reason why the uh the mirror piece is in there is because i think the guy's like trapped in a mirror too in this yeah. it's like shattered yeah so the movie itself doesn't look like it would necessarily be like a fun good time or be like oh this looks like a really well-made movie like fire uh, eyes of fire but um it just looked kind of weird and interesting and it, it was it was the first movie that caught my attention in the documentary yeah it was actually uh it was the one two three four five it was the sixth movie talked about oh there you <laughs> go okay all down nice nice all right well i've knocked out three of my five you want to hit up another one of yours uh, yeah, I I'll go I'll go with a movie that I saw at an all night uh, horror film, uh, not festival. It was like a, a it was a, out in Long Island. They did this movie theater did a like a, a horror movie. I don't know all nighter where you you paid like one ticket price and you just sat in the movie theater literally from like ten o'clock at night until nine o'clock the next morning Whoa. and they just played like seven or eight horror movies so the first time i saw this movie the only time i saw this movie was about 2 30 in the morning <laughs> and i thought that i had fallen asleep and dreamed half of this movie because <laughs> none of it made sense and it turned right. out i didn't i stayed awake for all of freaking extra oh. extra is one of the weirdest freaking movies that anyone has ever seen yes. they had the director yes and and I was laughing so hard at the director talk about Extro because he was like, yeah. yeah, I don't really know what we were doing. He's like, I've had people tell me that this is what the movie's about. They're wrong. I have no, he's like, I made it. I don't even have a clue. And it's, it's like, there's, there's an alien kidnapping. 
then the, then there's uh this like monster that fornicates with a woman and a woman gives birth to a 40 year old man uh <laughs> then in the middle of that you have this kid whose toys are alive and there's midget clowns running around and you're like what the fuck is going on yes. and like you you i truly like I remember like it was four o'clock in the morning. It was now time for the next movie to start. And I'm like, I looked at the person next to me. I'm like, was there a clown in that movie or did I fall asleep? And he's like, no, 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 there was a clown. I was like, okay. Yeah. Was there, did, did a woman give birth to a, an adult man? He's like, yeah. I'm like, okay, I guess I, I guess I stayed awake and I'm just getting to the point of the night where I'm delirious now. Um, yeah. And movies today, you can't, you're not going to find a movie that is just this balls to the wall insane. Um, where it's like you said with the boogeyman, it's just like, I'm going to splice in different parts of different genres into this one movie and nothing really makes sense. And we're not going to explain any of it. And anything that you come up with in your mind as an explanation, that's it. Because yeah. I have nothing, yeah. and that's really extra. And I and I appreciate a movie like that. I also appreciate that. I think the director mentioned that this movie, like for its opening week, pushed ET off the number one, <laughs> at oh, least awesome. for the first week. Right. So yeah, he like you know, holds on to that. <laughs> <laughs> I am really glad this is one of your choices because honestly, this could easily have been one of my choices as well. It didn't make my top five, but I was very intrigued by it. There's one sequence that they focus on in the documentary where there's a creature that uh, moves around in a strange way, this alien creature. Not this big gray alien that you see throughout the movie, but this creature. Oh. The, yeah, go ahead. It's like, yeah. They've actually, so they that image has actually been repurposed um, for like, modern YouTubers and like meme makers who are like, what would you do if you saw this in the middle of the night? And they just show a scene from extra and you're like, you think it's like this creepy pasta thing that has just been invented, but no, it's from an obscure, bizarre eighties horror movie that like 75 people in the world have seen. Right. And it's, yeah, it's this like alien who's like walking on all fours, but almost upside down. So it like, imagine if you were like, if you laid back on all four of your, with your stomach to the ceiling and then tried to turn your head back. It's yeah. At at our age, we would probably get hurt and have to go to the hospital. Uh Well, the thing is, right. Is that uh, we could do a little thing like the movie, the documentary right now and have a little in between segment between our movies. Um, the, they talk about practical effects quite a bit in this documentary. And I think that that's why these things, you know, there's obviously this nostalgia, right? We have In Search of Darkness three movies in now, and it's all about the 80s. Like, obviously, there's something about the 80s that people keep wanting to go back to. And I think the reason why we're haunted by so much of this stuff is because of the practical effects. And whether they're good or not, they still leave an impression on us now one sequence in this uh in search of darkness 3 that's so great is when they um show screaming mad george and he kind of talks about his filmography now i i always know about the the special effects people that you hear about all the time right like stan winston 
Phil uh, Baker, right? I, I actually was not familiar with Screaming Mad George. I've seen a lot of his movies that like his work is in, you know, like uh, Big Trouble in Little China or like uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. The uh, cockroach scene. The yeah. cockroach scene. I mean, I will always fucking remember that sequence. And um, it's just cool that it's this one guy and that he came from another country where, the, you know, practical effects were so crazy too, you know? So uh, that, that in a way kind of touched upon two segments that are so great in In Search of Darkness. There's a segment just about him and then there's a whole segment about Asian horror. And I'm sure that probably tickled your pickle when you were watching that part, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, uh, we can't leave off uh, his, uh, what's the French expression? Pay, uh, piece de resistance uh, uh, society. Oh, yeah. uh, the, the whole shunting scene in society is just screaming mad George at his glorious, uh, debaucherous best. But yeah, the Asian horror sequence, um, I, I really enjoyed that because it's really a blind spot for me when it comes to horror. Um, and, and like I said, like Mystics in Bali is a movie I went out of my way to buy. Uh, a movie I was dying to find on streaming that I couldn't find that I might have to buy, Devil's Fetus uh, from 1983. 1983 was a big year. It had Curtains, Extra, Possession. No, yes. pos well, Possession no, was... 1981. Really 81. Okay. Yeah. Uh, maybe it came out in America in 83. Cause I oh, okay. But uh, Devil's Fetus and Eyes of Fire all came out in 83. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, Devil's Fetus, man... That movie looks insane. Uh, yeah. yeah, no, I, I, there was a movie, I have this book somewhere up on my thing, uh, on my bookshelf called like the 100 horror movies you have to see before you die. Sure. And one of them is from the eighties. It's called the Chinese horror story. And it was streaming on Amazon, but they didn't have it with subtitles. So I couldn't watch it because I don't speak Chinese. So yeah. I was like, I like wrote them on Twitter. I was like, you know, you have this movie foreign film on Amazon with no subtitles. What are you doing? But like, I'd love to get deeper into Asian horror uh, because really in our lifetime, it's almost as if Asian horror doesn't exist until late high school, early college. And yeah, you start to ring. see the rise of J horror. Yeah. Right. The ring, the grudge. Uh, and then all the movies that, that are very similar to that all came out around that same time period. What is that? Like 99 to 2000. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you right now I saw, and I hated at the time, uh, the, the American version of the ring came out while I was in college because my okay. friends came up to college to visit me and we all went and saw the ring and yeah. everybody else was in the theater going, Ooh! and we were laughing hysterically because we hated it. Yeah. Um, but the uh, Ringu came out, I think, in 99. Uh, the Grudge, same director, I think also came out that year. Um, or a different director, but he he remade his own movie in America with Sarah Michelle Gellar, which was weird. Uh, but all those movies, the I, yeah, that was Asian horror. And some of the best horror movies that have come out in the last decade have been Asian horror movies. Train yeah. to Busan, great, probably the best zombie movie I've ever seen in my life. Um, on you know, not to spoil our top 10 for those of you who haven't watched the video, you put up numbers 10 through 6 already, but one of your movies was Incantation. Um, 
another movie, Impetigor, was on my list from a few years ago. We're right. talking Indonesia, South Korea, obviously right. Japan. So like China kind of gets left out, and that was you know a focus of of that section. Yeah. Uh, before we get to our like final picks, I also just want to mention. I want to kind of blend two more of the sections okay. uh, that were there. Sure, sure. Um, he does a section on, you know, like the great horror directors of the 80s. Yes. And obviously when you're talking about the 80s, you have John Carpenter, Wes Craven, right. Romero, Dante, Argento. These guys aren't putting out like a new horror movie every couple of years. They're putting out a new movie every year. Like Carpenter is on this like mad run from 1981 until 1988, where I believe in, in an eight year period, he puts out seven movies. Oh my God. Uh, Argento is very similar. He, um, and, 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 you know, like a lot of times we'll look at, you know, Halloween with Carpenter and Suspiria with Argento, which came out in the late 70s. But then but then all of a sudden you go with Carpenter, especially. It's like The Fog, The Thing, um, Escape from New York, uh, Starman, which isn't a horror movie, but it's science fiction. Right. Uh, Christine, They Live, Big Trouble in Little China, Prince of Darkness. I mean, I think I'm, I'm I think it's actually eight movies in nine years. I don't even know. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, you got Craven, you got. Uh, David Cronenberg and I wanted to kind of blend that with mm -hmm. you know these are the directors that we always talk about like Mount Rushmore style of horror especially for our lifetimes but then there's a great section towards the end on diversity mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. marginalization mm -hmm, in the mm -hmm. 80s and mm -hmm. they talk about how you know all the stereotypes that existed in the 80s um, things like uh, you know, the, the Chinese friend who was like very, you know, had the very phony Asian accent. Um, they had, you know, the, the, I just actually bought, I wish I didn't have it in my bag. I, uh, I bought a book from Barnes and Noble, uh, which is written by um, the people who are behind horror noir called uh, The Black Guy Dies First. Ah, and it's okay. about all the tropes uh, that have existed in black horror. And you saw that a lot in the eighties. Yeah. Uh, and then of course with LGBTQ, uh, characters, there was a lot of that too. Sam Weinman, another one of the great talking heads in this, he makes the point, you know, context, context, context. It's like, you shouldn't cancel these movies because they came out 30 years ago. You should understand where these movies came from. Yeah. Um, and you know, a lot of it was, you know, you saw in the early 80s, a lot of the, you know, there were a lot of gay characters, but then when AIDS came out, not like AIDS is a movie, when AIDS, <laughs> when AIDS became more publicized, they had to kind of pull back on that. And yeah. so things got a lot more stereotypical. Um you know, a movie that was mentioned that we talked about that's on Shutter now is Fear No Evil, where there's this really yeah. weird, erotic, gay shower scene. Yeah. And, like, it was it came out in 81. And, like, I feel like if that movie would have tried to come out in 84, 85, they would have cut that. Yes. And, you know, a movie that was talked about before in the previous 
in Search of Darkness movies, of course, is uh, Nightmare on Elm Street 2. Uh, there's a whole documentary about Mark Patton on Shudder, uh, Scream Queen, which is fantastic. That's something we could probably look into covering as well. Wow. But yeah, I, I just love like how meticulous uh, David Weiner gets with these chapter breakdowns and it, you know, really covering all the bases. And again, it, it really makes it feel more topical because we're still talking about uh, tropes in, in horror movies. Um, I, I'll never forget the movie Underwater with Kristen Stewart. Came out a few, I don't know if you saw it. Came yeah. out a few, and I really enjoyed it. Uh, and I'll never forget going on Twitter afterwards and it didn't occur to me watching it. Yeah. But it occurred to me after on Twitter when basically every black horror critic I saw was like, wow, still doing it, huh? Fuck that movie. And I was like, what the hell did he... And it occurs to me that there's one black character in the movie and his character is the one who like 10 minutes into the movie, there's a problem with his mask and he dies right away. And I'm like, wow, okay. So that's why, like, so that trope is still kind of going on. And, you know, there are, you know, issues with representation today. I mean, you see that with Oscar nominations, you know, they, you know, Oscar's so white and all these things. So uh, I think it's really awesome that David brings these, these things up focusing on on you know obviously 80s horror but they're still prevalent today yeah and i mean a great example of that too is how um you know we often talk about how female directors often get maligned right like they don't get as much credit or people don't give their work as much credit as it deserves and in that sequence you know that sequence is really well done because it it talks about the filmmaker and then it has like all their movies as vhs tapes right and you look at them and at the very end, they had Catherine Bigelow and they had one other female director, too, in that sequence. Yeah. And I think that Catherine Bigelow is great to mention because, I mean, uh, you know, she has uh, Near Dark in her filmography. And then I think she's just an incredible director besides that. Um, but, yeah, I mean, David did a great job of talking about, you know, all different groups but I like that he also championed women throughout the movie too. There were yeah. these two sequences where he has like Adrian Barbeau in the very beginning and then um, Dee Wallace, right? Or Dee Wallace Stone, I think she is now. But um, No, she was Dee Wallace Stone. Oh, she, okay. Her and Christopher Stone divorced. Okay. okay. okay that, so yeah. that, that, that was a really funny part of the documentary. She talks about how when they were making The Howling together, like he has this super like nude scene with this gorgeous other werewolf woman. And then a few years later, she was doing a nude scene in the movie and he was like flipping out about it. Right. And right. She, she really like threw some shade at like, you know, how come it's okay for you, but not for me. Right. And, and you know, that's once again, we talk about patterns and stuff. There is a double standard and it's, it's highlighted throughout the movie where they talk about, you know, what female actors are able to do. And they, they also talk about like, there's a couple of times where some of the talking heads are actresses that are in these movies. And they talk about how like, yeah, you know, when we would audition, we would have to kind of show our breasts or something like that. Oh yeah. You know? yeah, I remember. Yeah. There was one movie where uh, I forgot the, the specific person, but yeah. Where, but yeah. But what's so cool about this movie is that like, you'll then highlight something like slumber party massacre two, And that has a female director. Right. Yep. 
and, and, and so like, you know, and the greatest killer of all time. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, but so, you know, David just does this great job of making sure that like everyone is represented in this documentary. And uh, I just wanted to just point out like maybe one or two more highlights before I get into my last pick. But um, I, I actually really liked uh, Kathleen. How do you say her last name? Will Hoyt? Will, Will you know who she She's in uh, Witchboard. And then. Um, oh, yes. I know you're talking about. I didn't write her name down, but she she's a. She like screams '80s for me. She has like that raspy voice right. that I always like. Right. I want her to be like my best friend. Well, I kind of feel like she reminds me of Cindy Lauper, and she just kind of reminds me of like my aunt or something, or like you know women I knew when I was a little kid growing up in Staten Island. She just kind of seems like she's that kind of person. Um, so my last thing I wanted to bring up before my uh, final pick is that there are movies in this documentary that are like classic horror movies that they just never mentioned before, like Critters, right? or like The Hitcher. And some of these are movies that, um, I've, I've seen Critters, I've seen Critters multiple times, a lot when I was a little kid. Um, but there's some movies that are in this list that are like obvious horror movies, and I just haven't seen them, like The Gate and uh, The Hitcher, the original one. I think I saw a bit of the remake of The Hitcher with like Sean Bean, but obviously I didn't see the Rucker Hauer one, which is like so good. Um, and so, like, it just kind of makes you want to just watch some of these classics, especially The Gate, after they talked about it. Uh, and one thing I forgot to mention, too, was that uh, you mentioned Fear No Evil, and that's directed by Frank Lalogia, right? And they have two of his movies in there. They also have Lady in White. And that also looked like a movie that had, like, amazing cinematography, and I just wanted to check that out, too. That, have you that seen that one? That is a movie that I have legit not seen in 35 years. That was one yeah. of the first movies that I remember my dad renting for me. Probably, when did that come out? 88, I think? 89, yeah. maybe? Uh, so, like, okay, maybe I was seven years old, and my dad rented it for me, and I remember getting a little scared um, of this, like, weird ghost movie. Uh, but that was like one of those first like gateway horror movies that I remember seeing. And speaking of gateway horror, The Gate was one of the first horror movies I showed to Charlotte, um, probably when she was like seven years old, uh, because it's it's more fun than it is scary. Right, 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 exactly. So do I've... you want to get Do you want to get to your number one? Uh, oh, or what the movie you have left on your list? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because we got about like five minutes left if we're going to do an hour, so. I got for my last one, and it's not even that exciting, but it's the video dead. I've never seen it. I think it has like this great cover if you look at the VHS of it. Yeah. But it's um, it stars Michael St. Michael's, the Greasy Strangler, and uh, it just looked like a lot of fun. I, I was intrigued by it. What about you, man? Uh, uh, as far as that goes, I I thought it was fun getting to see Michael St. Michael's talk. <laughs> Knowing that I've seen the Greasy Strangler and going, oh, so he's not such a weird guy. Okay, that's that's good to know. Right. Uh, yeah, no, Video Dead sounds fun. Um, my last one, and I, I, I want to throw out as a couple honorable mentions, uh, the last horror film I think looks amazing. I love Joe Spinell so much. Yeah. This is a guy who was in The Godfather. This is a guy who was in Rocky. And then, by the way, went off and did Maniac and uh, the last horror film. Um, and I love the gorilla feel to it. How, like, they're legit running through the Cannes Film Festival yes, while yes. it's going on. Yeah. And, like, the director was like, no, no, no Kat, uh, Carolyn Monroe, go. 
run. Right. <laughs> it's like, okay, I'm in a towel. Yeah. Um, so I'd love to talk about that movie a little bit more. Santa Sangre is a movie that is made by Jodorowsky, who is oh. a director whose entire filmography I have missed. El Topo, The Holy Mountain, is a guy who, you know, is a total blind spot to me that I, I desperately need to catch up on. Uh, but my number one, and it's a real cheesy one, but okay. it's Puppet Master. Because this is a movie that, like, randomly came out in the mid-80s. It was such a, a video hit. It's made by Full Moon uh, that is still around today. Charlie Band, uh, who's somebody that Joe Bob talks about all the time. Uh, one of those, like, almost um, Lloyd Kaufman-esque, real, like, built-it-from-the-ground-up, uh, low-budget horror guys. And uh, it's a it's a franchise that somehow is up to, like, movie 15. Right. And they're still releasing them today. So I am in no way saying we should cover all the Puppet Master movies. Oh, oh no. But I remember, like, renting parts one through five, like almost like together and doing like, that was like one of the first times I ever remember doing like a marathon for myself right. was renting puppet masters one, two and three. And then I remember four and five came out. And then after that, I just kind of stopped, but yeah, I was probably like seven or eight and like evil puppets. Like that's awesome. And yes. You know, so yeah, that was the movie I chose to be like the last one on my list. Yeah, that's a good choice. And that's actually one of those classic horror movies that everyone has seen that I haven't. So I would gladly talk about that with you too. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. So as we come in, uh, we wrap up our hour together. Uh, I just want to remind you guys at home that like these are mine and Danny's suggestions. But if you guys are like, hey, what about this movie? Like we want to make sure that you're included in this too. So we want to come up with a nice top 10. We've already done Possession, which was fucking awesome. You can check out that video on the channel. Uh, coming up this week on the Lastercast 2 is going to be part two of our top 10 of 2023 list. Our numbers five through one. So uh, I think that number, the first video that has 10 through six came out pretty well. I'm real excited about our top five. So yeah, what, what else you got on our channel, my man? Um, I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to post a video about Unmasked Part 25. Uh, nice. <laughs> it, might, it might be a short. It might be uh, a, a little more in-depth, but I love the movie. It's Valentine's Day coming up. It's a perfect movie for Valentine's Day. Um, Shudder has the remake of My Bloody Valentine up, um, and it's it's a, one of the better 80s horror remakes. Uh, I think it's a movie that a lot of people probably saw like it's opening weekend and then completely forgot about. So if you want to go check that out, it's on shutter. And uh, I was thinking about rewatching that this week as well as the, the original, which is one of my all time favorite uh, horror films, the original, my bloody Valentine. So yeah, maybe some Valentine's day horror uh, this week, but yeah, I can't wait for our, our five to one best of 2022. Cause I thought, you know, we had some really good picks there and yeah, yeah this has been great. I can't wait to talk more about, the movies that we mentioned here. Ah, oh, perfect. Look at this. This guy got it right under an hour. Well, guys, thank you so much for watching with us and uh, let us know your picks and we will see you guys real soon.